the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Tired of the negative news and flashover substance? It's time for Today with Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy Patrick is a trial attorney, patriot, and PhD with a passion for people and a penchant for politics. Dr. Wendy brings you the headlines, streamlined news you can use. It's time to be informed, engaged, and entertained. Now, here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick and my co-host Larry Dersham and I are going to break down some of the hottest stories of the week. And topping that list, at least topping that list in the real crime category, is of course the identification of the remains of Brian Laundrie. Now, now the questions are starting, I should say. We do know that it was Brian Laundrie, but now it's focus on the family. It's focus on the timeline. We're looking at all of the ways in which this discovery was made. We're even looking at some of what we learned happened right at the beginning that maybe has cast this timeline that we thought we had really into disarray. And the Gabby Petito family really wants answers. In order to achieve closure, they really want to know more about what happened. And everybody's working together to hopefully be able to provide them that. But let me tell you one of the most interesting twists that many uh, of us are talking about and have been talking about in the last couple of days. They looked for Brian for over a month. And when I say they, I mean, this was a multi-agency effort. They're using divers, dogs, and drones. This combing over 25,000 acres of this reserve. They don't find him. The park reopens, and within a day, the parents lead the authorities right to Brian Laundrie's his at least things that belong to him, his belongings. And then shortly after that, the authorities find his remains. Many people think that timeline looks suspicious. I love to play devil's advocate on this, but I know, Kevin, you have some thoughts about this. What What are the odds yeah, that it, the parents would find it so fast? Exactly. Am, am I the only guy that's wondering, you get the FBI looking, they had dogs out there, you know they had drones and clones or whatever they used to find people. And the parents go out for a walk with an FBI agent, and then one of the parents walks a little off the trailer and says, hey, hey, look what I found. Really? How do they even know to look there? Yeah, so let me play devil's advocate just because I like, I've been both a prosecutor and a defense attorney, and it's fun. So here would be the way they would, they would answer that, and then this is the way their lawyer answered it. They knew Brian hiked there, which begs the question, did they tell this to authorities before? Because remember, 25,000 acres, they knew the hike that their son took. And that's, they went straight there. I mean, to their credit, they were transparent about it. They told the authorities the night before, we are going to look now ourselves that the park is open, meet us. They did so. Um, the lawyer for, the, for their family, for the laundry family, called it happenstance. I don't know whether it was happenstance when they happened to know where he probably went. I mean, that's, what, that's a hike that he took, and it was off of that path. At least that's the information we have so far. And, you know, I mean, last week on the show, I think we talked about the sightings, all the sightings of Brian Laundrie over the course of the last week, when now it looks like he was already dead. At least that's probably what we're going to be um, thinking about finding out. 
But what about that notebook? I understand they say this area was underwater. I don't know whether this notebook was dry, was wet, or why it wouldn't have been left in his car if it was something or contained some kind of a note, some kind of a journal that would lead us to believe and would help closure by telling us what happened and why. Uh, Larry, what do you think about that? What do you think is going to be in that notebook and how important is that going to be to the families? It could be a journal. Uh, I would look at this, if it's okay to kind of guess at this type of thing, that it was probably a murder-suicide, like a delayed suicide. I think if we even want to get into this subject, that probably I think he loved um, – he loved Gabby and probably they got into a heated argument. Maybe she said something like, you know, I want to go back to my family. I'm tired of this journey or something. Something happened. And I think there was that he probably did it. And I'm thinking he's thinking that his life is over. And I'm sure I think he probably even loved her. I don't know them, of course. Uh, but um, so that that notebook could have been his last note, because uh, sometimes when people take their life, they leave notes. What do you think, Wendy? Well, you know, the, the notebook will be very interesting because you, you, you would hope they were in love. They were engaged to be married, but that doesn't mean that they weren't, that relationship wasn't toxic due to domestic violence. I mean, she died by strangulation, which is up sure. close and personal. Sure. The things that were witnessed by bystanders, by police, I mean, if that's the kind of behavior that goes on in public, we can only shudder to think what goes on in private. Remember the last sighting when they were at the restaurant and Brian was causing a commotion? I mean, that was the last sighting of the two of them. So that's the last we know about them is not what they were posting on social media, the idyllic relationship. They looked great on social media, but remember, that's all a highlights reel. What really went on was what bystanders have shared with us that actually saw this couple. So the timeline and the forensics are going to tell a story that Gabby and Brian cannot. They're, it's not a story as much as it's a history. It's going to be a chronicled history of what went on with that couple. And then it's going to lead also to the points that Kevin brings up. Why did that timeline accelerate within 24 hours, right at the very end, and the parents were able to lead authorities to what they'd been looking for for over a month? How did that happen? Why did it happen? Because now when I say focus on the family, I also mean both uh, as, as terms of curiosity and legally, uh, given what we've been talking about behind the scenes, um, on the all over the news channels, the commentary has focused on, well, gosh, is it possible under what circumstances might the parents face any liability? So, I mean, the plot just thickens, but it is at the very least a step in the right direction to say that now we have more information to work with to try to give the grieving family the answers that they're looking for. Right. And their attorney, they have an attorney, uh, his name is Stephen Bertolino, and he was really upset with the media. They did a short conference after it was announced that they did find uh, Brian Laundrie's remains. And apparently there are still people outside, at least there were that day, protesting against the family. And so this family, uh, the parents are probably going through a lot of pain right now. And to add on to that is the public and the protesters that are outside and all the attention on it. So it is going to be interesting to watch this unfold, Wendy. Uh, there's still a lot, of, a lot of unanswered questions on this. You know, one thing, Larry, that um, there hasn't been a lot of press about this. You and I have exchanged articles, but the search for Brian Laundrie actually turned up a, a lot of other missing persons. Yes. Turned up at least nine other bodies. You know, I often comment if every missing person's case and every fugitive hunt received the kind of attention that this one did would probably solve a lot more crime. And I know that that's been echoed by lots of people throughout the entire time we've been following this case. And sure enough, during the course of this hunt, this search, we have solved, or maybe at least 
um, taken steps to identify nine other missing people that were found, nine other bodies. So who knows how many others are, you know, have, have been turned up along the way. We haven't been, hasn't been reported or they haven't been identified yet. Right. But Larry, I know you also like to uh, talk politics. Well, right. Uh, yeah, I, I do. And uh, I wanted to bring this uh, kind of breaking news story. I just thought it was interesting since we're talking about vaccine mandates and mask mandates. I don't know if the folks know this, but Congress, the U.S. Congress, is exempt from the COVID-19 vaccine mandate, as is the judicial branch of the United States. That's the court system, the federal court system. So those uh, employees, those judges and the U.S. Post Office and all the postal workers are exempt from the vaccine mandate, as is the executive branch. That's Biden's branch of government. So I always have thought that is interesting. They want to force everybody to get this vaccine. And again, we have to say this, we're not anti-vaccine. We've each had many vaccines. But the way they're forcing this on people is very troublesome. And there's one other thing, too, I wanted to get into. I don't know if I had a chance to mention this. This is not totally new technology. It came out in 2019, but the Bill and Melinda Gates has funded a it's called quantum-based copper dots. And at the same time, they give you a vaccine, and that could be the COVID vaccine. And I'm not saying they're doing this. They can put in a uh, an ID. They're, they're stored on these copper dots, and that stays under your skin. It's invisible. Uh, it could stay under your skin for five years, and it tells you everything about that person, their vaccine uh, vaccination status, and so forth. And you wouldn't even know what's inserted in there. So I'm just saying that was MIT developed that uh, with the Bill and Melinda Larry- Gates. What is the stated rationale for not having the judiciary, the executive branch, Congress? What's the stated rationale for having them uh, exempt from the vaccine mandate? You know, I haven't really seen that or read that. I do know when you go back to, uh, I think it's the Obamacare, the health care, that the Congress was exempt. They had these really, Cadillac, they called them Cadillac plan health cares. But everybody else had to have these lower end health care plans. So that same type of rationale. But have you read, Wendy? I'm not sure that I've uh, read the rationale. It's almost like we're the leaders, we're in charge, you must take this. <laughs> I'm, sure it doesn't say, I'm sure it doesn't say that. But that's why you notice how I phrased my question, Larry, the stated rationale. You know, it's like so many other things. Uh, they may be testing. I'm sure they have testing requirements. I mean, the, if you have a negative test, you're not carrying COVID. You may right. be carrying COVID if you're vaccinated. You know, we could go on and on about the, you know, sometimes the um, stated rationales and sort of the behind the scenes ways in which everybody is staying safe. I know that there's still social distancing and masking because we see them on TV every day. Um, but you're right. You do look at laws are for thee, but not for me. We, that, that has been a, an objection throughout the years um, within any society where you have certain classes of individuals that impose rules on others, but then don't follow any themselves. And um, this sounds like um, if they do have a rationale, they probably are, are getting some pressure, I'm guessing, to let us know what it is. So nobody un, nobody sees it as unfair. Right. But I'm, I'm really glad that the, um, what is it, Southwest Air pilots stood up to that. And basically, they were going to have that mandate on all the pilots. And the organization, the corporation, backed down on that because so many of the pilots were going to walk out. And I heard this, Wendy. This is amazing. I heard this, that this vaccine mandate is going to be on the San Diego uh, police force, the city of San Diego, there's 900 police officers right now. Uh, and I got this from uh, a source that works in the police office, uh, the police department. And uh, at least possibly half of them are going to 
leave their job if they if they carry through with this. The mayor of San Diego apparently is forcing this uh, mandate on them, and a bunch of firefighters too in San Diego. I've heard up to a hundred. And this will be so interesting to follow. It's almost well, you know, like- across the across the country, we're seeing similar um, similar ideas being floated around different industries. You remember, the healthcare industry was one in which people were saying, you know, uh, if you let everybody go that doesn't want to get vaccinated, you're not going to be able to run healthcare. I mean, talk about importance: fire, police, healthcare. Um, I would even say flights because people are back at work and have to go places. So these are some of the things that I'm sure we'll keep talking about as um, the tide continues to turn. And, and as, as you mentioned, it sounds like maybe the pendulum begins to swing. So let's stay tuned for that. Um, we're going to continue to follow these different mandates. We're going to continue to follow um, the, the true crime stories. I'll tell you, the biggest challenge every week is what are the highlights and then how do we possibly condense it down to fit within a show? So we do our best. We do need, however, to take a short commercial break, but please stick around for our next segment. You are going to be introduced to some representatives of our nation's largest nonprofit law firms that defend citizens whose rights are being violated and do it for free. That's right. You heard that correctly. You do not want to miss hearing what our guests have to say about one of their latest cases. So you are listening to Today with Dr. Wendy, and we will be back in a flash. News cycle lowlights have no place here. You're listening to the headline highlights on Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. It's time for more news you can use. The headlines streamline. It's time for more Today with Dr. Wendy. Now here's your host, Dr. Wendy Patrick. Welcome back to Today with Dr. Wendy. I'm Wendy Patrick, and we have some very interesting guests on the line with us today that we are very lucky. We talked into taking a little bit of time joining us today. Larry, who do we have on the line? Right, Wendy. Our guests today are Denise Harley, Senior Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, and John Girardi, Executive Director of Right to Life of Central California. Right to Life of Central California is challenging a brand new California state law that unconstitutionally restricts speech based on viewpoint by creating a 100-foot censorship zone outside of any facility that provides any type of vaccine. So I'm going to let them explain the case a little bit better. So thank you for joining us today, Denise and John. Oh, our pleasure. Thanks yeah. for having us. Before we start talking with the two of you about the new case that's just been filed, John, I understand you're a lawyer, too, as well as the executive director of Right to Life Central California, um, and even have your own regular talk radio segment, kind of like we do. Yours is called Right to Life Minute, Stories from the Sidewalk and Religious Liberty. Uh, with those responsibilities, I was just wondering if you could teach us some work-life balance here. How in the world do you manage to do all that and still have a balanced life? Uh, well, actually, we're also starting a pro-life prenatal health care clinic in the city of Fresno. Oh. I have a daily radio show. So, you know, I just I just have a very... It's worse than we thought. <laughs> I work hard. Oh, my gosh. There you go. It's all right. I'll sleep when I'm dead. There you go. Well, you'll be in heaven, so you'll probably be just as busy, if not more. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> keeping, keeping my fingers crossed. Anyway, Right. So, so could you tell us a little bit about the federal lawsuit you just filed last week? I believe it's called Right to Life of Central California v. Bonta in the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of California that challenges that state California law that I just mentioned that creates the 100-foot censorship zone around any facility 
that provides any type of vaccine, not just the COVID vaccines, but other types. Right. So, uh, yeah, Right to Life of Central California, Pete Bonta, uh, Rob Bonta is the Attorney General of California, so that's why he's in there. Uh, so, as you said, this bill limits various kinds of speech activities within 100 feet of the entrance to any vaccine site. We at Right to Life have a ministry outside of plan, at the local Planned Parenthood Clinic in Fresno, where our employees and volunteers are often standing outside of Planned Parenthood, holding signs. And uh, the big thing, though, is interacting directly with women and couples as they go in and out to offer them alternatives to abortion. And the provisions of this bill make it pretty much impossible for that ministry to happen without a big threat of one of our employees or volunteers violating the terms of the law and being subject to up to six months in prison or uh, up to a $1,000 fine. So it's a real attack on our ability to engage um, in what we think is First Amendment protected speech. Well, you know, it's interesting you phrase it that way, because we often hear the First Amendment talked about in terms of speech, but not in terms of freedom of religion and and some of the other things and, you know, that that we hold dear. And let me toss this to our our other guest. You know, how how do we how do we educate, you know, the people that follow these cases as they should? I mean, I'm glad there's there's so much uh, general interest. But how do we educate people as to how to draw that balance between you know, freedom of speech and also freedom to not only exercise religion, but have religious beliefs and and really follow them as a way of life. Well, the Constitution outlines this for us and the Supreme Court has done it over and over again. Um, And I think the problem arises when um, government officials and legislators ignore what the Constitution actually says and what the Supreme Court has been very clear about. So just as an example, um, just a few years ago, Alliance Defending Freedom brought a case all the way up to the Supreme Court regarding a buffer zone, extremely similar to this one. It was a 35-foot zone that applied only outside of healthcare facilities um, and obviously made it up impossible for sidewalk advocates to do their, their peaceful counseling. And the Supreme Court struck down that buffer zone and said, uh, this prevents a normal conversational distance. This makes the signs that these sidewalk advocates carry illegible. It prevents them from reaching out with leaflets. It forces them to shout. And that is a violation of their free speech rights and their ability to exercise their beliefs. And so I think if we're, uh, if we're abiding by the Constitution and, and honoring it, we would not be having these problems. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well said. Right. So, so uh, Denise, I understand. Does this law go into effect immediately? A lot of laws go into effect on January 1st, but this was like an emergency type um, legislation that, that is in effect right now because the governor signed it? That's right. It right. was uh, drafted with an urgency clause. And so the moment that uh, Governor Reeson signed it on October 8th, it immediately went into effect. So it currently does bind what right to life is able to do without violating the law. Denise and John, I tease this segment as uh, really talking a little bit about ADF, and I know what ADF does. God bless you for doing what you do. And I've spoken at your conferences for years and years. But just for the listeners, um, what does Alliance Defending Freedom stand for? What does it do? And how in the world are you able to provide the, the quality representation you are and then not charge a lot of the clients? Well, thank you. And we don't charge any of our clients. Um, Alliance Defending Freedom is a an organization that stands for religious freedom, freedom of speech, for marriage and the family, and for, for advocates for the sanctity of life. We are a nonprofit ministry, and so we operate 100% on donations from generous 
supporters and ministry friends. And that's why we can represent fantastic clients like John and Right to Life of Central California without having to charge them a dime. Um, And we're honored to do it. And we would welcome anyone who wants to link arms with us and help support us so we can support um, pro-life advocates like John and his team. That's great. Uh, I wanted to find out, too, this law that's just went into effect, I understand that does it just go against uh, the pro-life people? For example, can people that are picketing in a labor dispute uh, be closer than 100 feet away? Or does this, is there any discrimination against the pro-life? Right. So the terms of the law apply to anybody engaging in any kind of protest outside any place that gives vaccines except for various kinds of labor protests. Uh, It's actually funny, there's been another case sort of similar to ours filed by someone who wants to engage in the kind of prohibited activity outside of vaccine sites, but he wants to encourage people to get the COVID vaccine. Yet the bill, by its very terms, would prohibit that person from doing it. So it's so bizarre, The, the language of it is so broad and sweeps in so many different kinds of activity. I, I mean, in spite of its purported desire to protect people from harassment when they get COVID vaccines, it's prohibiting a guy who wants to encourage people outside of uh, vaccine sites. And as you say, there is this discriminatory element that uh, labor, various kinds of pro-labor um, demonstrations, they are permitted in that 105th buffer zone and everyone else is not. So it's kind of the state of California picking and choosing who does and doesn't get freedom of speech. You know, John um, and Denise will probably agree with this too. That's one of the things that we as lawyers really worry a lot about is that we have facts that support a particular law being passed or being supported or even being litigated because we all know litigation leads to legislation. But then how do you enforce it fairly? How do you say, well, you can only pick it if you're on this side of the controversy or we're going to enforce a buffer zone if you're on the other side. I mean, it's one of those one of those things that I often am amazed that people always show up in person when we have such forums available to exchange ideas online. There's something about that human element, shouting, coming, you know, waving flags, holding signs. That's difficult to enforce in a fashion that, as you mentioned, John, can be then interpreted as fair to both sides, isn't it, Denise? How do we do this and remain consistent with the First Amendment, basically saying what it says and not taking a political side, thank God? Mm-hmm. The First Amendment is very clear that the government can't discriminate based on the content of what a speaker is saying or the viewpoint that a speaker has. It is not allowed. Um, and so there is no, there is no way to have a law that allows the government to pick and choose. And the fact that this law does it on its face, allowing for labor protests, um, immediately makes it fail the First Amendment test. But another reason our case is so strong is because the public sidewalks are the quintessential place for free speech and public discourse in the public square. As you mentioned, this is the way America has engaged in civil discourse since the beginning of our nation. And this is exactly where the government can't come in and tell people that they can't peacefully speak their opinions and beliefs. And so, unfortunately, we have to litigate this when governments overstep 
uh, using a pandemic as an excuse <laughs> to throw out the Constitution. But the good news is we have a hearing set for next Thursday in front of a judge, and we look forward very much to prevailing in court. That's great. If you prevail in court, will that settle it or will that depend on the state of California trying to appeal that and go forward? Uh, what's Based on all the precedent that's out there already, it looks like you guys have a pretty good chance of winning, a really good chance. But is that how you're seeing it? You think it's going to stop there once the judge hears it and hears all the facts? I think the law's on your side. Well, I can't say whether or not California will appeal, but if they do, we would continue to fight this all the way up to the Supreme Court if necessary to prevail. Um, and yes, based on the relief we've asked um, the judge to give us, it would be striking down this law entirely on its face so that it can't be applied to anyone, not just right to life, but any speaker um, will not be subjected to this sort of unconstitutional law. And John, what's the next step for you uh, if, in fact, uh, the uh, lawyers continue to have to fight this battle? So, if the law if the law has to stay in, in effect, you mean? Uh, so, I mean, if the law has to stay in effect, obviously it it severely impacts how we do what we do. But we're we're going to do everything in our power. You know, we're we're not going to engage in civil disobedience. Um, but, uh, you know, we will do everything in our power as creatively as we can to interact with these women and do everything. Uh, I'm just going to leave the, the how the legal resolution uh, will come about in the hands of uh, Denise and the Almighty. So I, I figure I've got you know, a pretty good team on my behalf. So, Amen to that. You know, Larry and I have guests on all the time, and it's a blessing to actually be able to talk about, you know, God says justice is mine, vengeance is mine. I, I mean, there's all of these biblical reasons that we do our best and then you know we we hope that justice is served and we keep our faith where it belongs thank you so much to you both for for joining us we love talking law we have a colorful cast of guests on all of the time talking legal issues and i really like this the refreshing segment we had here where we just talked about the reality that the first amendment isn't political and when you have cases like this even if they sweep in controversial issues the constitution still has to be followed so thank you both for joining us and thank you to our listeners we want to wish you a wonderful safe weekend please join us next week for more today with dr wendy headlines with a silver lining have a great week and god bless you thank you for joining us for today with dr wendy you can learn more about dr wendy and how to become a guest or sponsor of the show by visiting wendypatrickphd.com that's wendypatrickphd.com tune in every week at this same time as dr wendy will engage and inspire you with an upbeat viewpoint on the highlights of the day This has been Today with Dr. Wendy on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.